0: that that Rebecca and John will either take me out to eat or Rebecca will fix something and invite me over or she'll talk George into grilling. But Rebecca will ask me what I want, whether I want a lemon icebox pie or whether I want a coconut pie. Normally I go with lemon icebox. But listen, death is just the beginning. And Paul here is writing to the church at Thessalonica, to those that were left behind after the homegoing of their loved ones because they were so confused with false teachers being prevalent there in that church as they were in every church, that their loved ones was going to miss out on heaven because they had already died and would not be here when the rapture took place. Now let me just throw something in. That tells me that the Apostle Paul and the church of Thessalonica looked for the imminent return of Jesus. They believed that He could come at any time. If they believed that, certainly you and I ought to. Amen? Amen. But when I look at this and then uh, think about that, and I notice that there's not a break between verse 12 and verse 13. Sometimes we put one there, but there's not one there. But when I began looking at verse 13 through 18, I see three different things primarily. First of all, I see our hurt. Secondly, I see our hope. And then lastly, I see our help, our hurt. Now listen, there in verse 13, when Paul says that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, Paul is not prohibiting you and I as God's children from grieving. Now I think of one of the prophets when his wife died, God told him not to weep publicly. God was, it was a prophetic message that God was giving to the people of Israel in that day. And he was told he was not to grieve. But listen, there is no way that you and I can keep from it when our loved ones pass on. I don't care who you are. You may think you had the strongest constitution of anybody in town. You may think you're so spiritual that grief is not going to affect you. But listen, when it comes knocking at your door, you're going to grieve. One of the things that we heard on our video for Grief Share, as Zig Ziglar, the late Zig Ziglar now, said we grieve much because we love much. how true that is. But listen, we're going to grieve. Because there's a loss. There's an emptiness. There's a void that had been there that was not there before. I remember the first time that I preached after Barbara passed away. I went out to Pleasant Grove to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. They were without a pastor. They had the song service and everything was going good. and Then they had the special music and they turned it over to me and I walked to the pulpit and laid my Bible on it and I broke down because I realized that for the first time in better than 37 years, I was standing to preach the Word of God without my best prayer warrior praying for me. That was a loss. Certainly there's other losses that I could go into. But listen, we have all different kinds of emotions. One of those emotions may even be anger. Now, you say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't get angry. Well, sometimes in the loss of a loved one, we do. Listen, I can drive through Mayfield and get angry. (laughs) Are you with me? I, I used to say all the time, that if if God allowed me to, I wanted to do one thing, and that started driver's training school in Mayfield. (laughs) But the problem is, I don't think many would admit that they needed to learn how to drive. (laughs) But I remember one day, not long after Michael had passed away, I don't know where I'd been, but I came in and Barbara was sitting on the couch and she had her Bible open in her lap. And the moment I walked in the door, there was tears running down her eyes, but the moment I walked in the door, I knew she was upset about something. I could tell. Guys, you know what I mean. And I sat down and I asked her what's going on. And she started unloading on me everything she had been unloading on God. Now listen, you and I are so, so, so spiritual that we would not ever think about pouring it out on the Lord. But I guarantee you that day Barbara was. She was telling him what for just like she told me what for. And I sat there and I waited until she calmed down just a little bit. And then I began to explain that that we, as God's children, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to accept things that come and not pour out our anger, certainly not be angry at Him. But she was. See, she was mad. She was angry because God had taken her baby. The youngest of the three. But I learned something in Greece here. There were others that got angry. You look at the Psalms. The Psalmist cried out, Oh Lord, how long are you going to cause me to suffer? Where I weep at night until my eyes are sore. We see phrases similar to that in the Psalms over and over again. But the one that really stood out to me is Christ Himself. And this is stated in Psalms 22 verse 1, and then later on in the Gospels, when we see Jesus hanging there on the cross, the sound that came forth from His lips was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I do not think Jesus uttered that cry in a meek and soft voice with praise and thanksgiving. I believe He was saying, God, why am I having to suffer like this? You say, oh no, Jesus didn't do that. Well, go back and look at the scriptures yourself. He was suffering. Sometimes we question why. Sometimes we may want to blame somebody. If it was an accident, a traffic accident or something like that, we want to blame the other driver. Sometimes we want to try to blame the medical profession. Sometimes we blame our loved one for dying before we was ready to give them up. And right along with the angry, sometimes we blame God for taking them. Sometimes there's relief. If your loved one had been sick for a while and you had to be the caregiver and you were taking care of them and and doing everything that you could to try to help them, when they die, it's a relief. On Thursday night, before Barbara passed, and we knew what was coming, and Barbara's legs and feet were hurting so much. Bar- I sat on one side, and Rebecca sat on the other side. As we rubbed her feet and legs, because she was in so much pain, because her organs were shutting down. And I finally called hospice, and they said, let me check with the doctor. In less than an hour, a hospice nurse was there at our house and gave us instruction to give Barbara morphine every two hours. And so from Thursday night about 11 o'clock on until Saturday morning, We were giving her morphine every two hours. Listen, you try to lay down and sleep and knowing you got to get up in two hours and a lot of times you can't go to sleep. I got up at four o'clock that morning, went in, I gave her her morphine. She'd had so much she couldn't rouse much, she couldn't speak. But I gave her the morphine. I went back to bed and laid down. I got up at six o'clock and I went in there and she was gone. I knew I could sleep, I knew I could rest. But then when you feel relief because you're not having to provide the caring stuff, you have guilt that comes along behind it because you say, I shouldn't feel that way. I should have been ready to do it from now on. And we would. But then we start feeling guilty. There's also depression that comes along with it. I've known folks that's had Depression. I've seen folks dealing with depression, even in my own family. But I thought it ain't going to happen to this old boy. I don't have anything to be depressed about. About a year after Barbara passed away, I'd come out to the church, and I don't know why I came out here. I, I don't know whether I'd come to see Brother Ronnie Sr. or what. But anyway, he asked me into his office. He closed the door and we sat down. And he said, David, let me ask you something. And I said, okay. He said, how are you doing? Listen, if you've lost a loved one, that's one question you do not want folks to ask you is how you're doing. Now, we do it, I do it. Because we really want to know how they're doing but listen, if you've just lost a loved one and someone comes up and says, how you you doing? Your response is likely to be, how do you think I'm doing? You with me? But brother Ronnie and I began to talk and I told Brother Ronnie, I said, I go to bed every night asking the Lord to take me. Now, I knew I was not going to do anything to bring about my own death. I wasn't going to commit suicide. Mainly because I'm afraid that I'd mess up. But every night I was going to bed and I said, Lord, go ahead and take me. I'm done here. Rebecca and John's grown. They ain't make it. Go ahead. In fact, I'd already told God He'd made a mistake because He took the wrong one. He should have took me instead of her. God didn't listen to me. But I told Brother Ronnie, I said, "When I wake up, when I wake up, I don't care whether I get up or not. I don't care whether I eat or not. I go to church, but it's just out of routine." And after talking for a little bit, Brother Ronnie looked at me and he said, David, you're going through grief depression. And I said, Okay. When I realized that, I knew what I needed to do to turn that around. And I got into the Word of God heavier than I had been. Oh, I was reading my Bible. Every day, but I just reading it over, and 10 minutes later, I couldn't have told you what I just read. If I hadn't had a marker for my daily Bible reading, I'd have lost my place and wouldn't know where to start tomorrow. It's just going through the motions. See, we hurt, and we hurt differently. And we're going to. I wish, you that, I wish I could tell you that there was an easy way out. But listen, friends, there's not an easy way out. But what you learn to do, as we'll point out here in a few, a few minutes, is to go from our mourning to joy. Because see, here in the next verses, he gives us our hope. Look what he says there in verse 14. Now I'm not going to read all of that verse. I'm just going to read the first four words. For if we believe. See, our first hope is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In God himself. Knowing that God is good and whatever He does is right, whether you and I understand it or not, whether you and I accept it or not, whatever God does is right. God doesn't make any mistakes. But also realizing and believing that God is in control. Over the last year and a half or so, listen, I've always believed in the sovereignty of God. Always. Now, there was a period of time when I was in Bible college, I went overboard with that stuff. And I don't know, I wouldn't say I was a five-point Calvinist, but I was pushing five so close, so hard, that you wouldn't have known the difference. I've always believed in the sovereignty of God. But over the last year and a half, the truth of the sovereignty of God, that our God is in control of everything that goes on in my life and in your life, and nothing's going to happen by accident. God knew what it was, what was going to happen, and when it was going to happen. And one of our lessons in grief share led us to Psalms 139 where it says that God knows the day of our death. Right? Listen, God knew when Barbara was going to die before I ever met her. And there wasn't a thing in the world I could do to prevent it. I didn't even know. I, we didn't meet until 73. 73. 1973. Got married the next year. But God already had and knew the day of her death before we ever got married. Realizing that my Heavenly Father is so in control and He doesn't have a thing in the world against me, I also realize it's foolish for me to pray every night before when I go to bed for God to go ahead and take me because if it's not my day, that prayer is not going to be answered. Our hope, our trust in Him. Listen, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Trust Him. Listen, be honest with you, you and I have a hard time doing that. Especially when grief comes. But listen, not only does He talk about our faith here, He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Man, I've been preaching, I've been preaching this passage of Scripture for years until that jumped out at me. The reality and the truth of the rapture is as sure as the gospel itself. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, listen, that's the gospel, folks. If we believe He did that, we better believe that He's coming back again. Think about how much God loves us. That He loved us so much that he had sent his son to come into this world to take my place and your place on the cross of Calvary. Listen, when he took our love and when our loved one died, it wasn't because God was getting back at us for something. God doesn't work like that. God loves us too much. Boy, how exciting that is. How refreshing that is. Do you know there's a lot of people think that God's just waiting to try to get them where He can beat them over the head with a club? God doesn't do that. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't judge. The Bible says He chastens, amen? Amen. Some of us know what that's like. But he loves us so much. And this is just all part of his plan. Then he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I like that right there. Because that assures me that my loved one is already in heaven. That body may still be there, it may be in the grave, but the soul's not. And that's the real person. See, you you look at me right now and you say, well, I know what Brother David looks like. Well, listen, i got news for you. You ain't seen the real Brother David yet. And I ain't either. I don't know what I'm going to look like it's probably going to be similar to what I look like right now. But I guarantee you, I'm not going to have to worry about spending time fixing my hair and brushing my teeth like I do right now. And you won't either. Verse 15, he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, the Word of God. Our hope is in the Word of God. I've tried to be faithful in reading and studying the Word of God for many years. ever since God, by His mercy, snatched me out of this world and set my path to following Him, I've tried to make it a point to be in this book every day and to study it so I know what it says. But listen, after Barbara's passage, I get into the word of God and, and going through grief share they've helped me to see things differently than what I saw before. It had not changed the word of God. It's still the word of God. It's just that I had blinders on and didn't see it. And then in verse 16 he says for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Listen, the resurrection. Do you notice here in this passage of Scripture, in verses 13, 14, and 15, it either uses the word asleep or sleep. That's something that Jesus did when He was here on earth. He spoke of Jairus' daughter as being asleep. He spoke of Lazarus to his disciples as being asleep. And when the disciples said, well, if he's sleeping, he's doing well, Jesus finally told them he's dead. And listen, that's what the Word of God tells us here too. They're in the last part of that verse. And the dead in Christ. But they're just asleep. That means they're going to wake up one of these days. There's going to be an alarm clock that goes off for those that are dead in Christ like we never heard before. Nobody else is going to hear that. But listen, that alarm clock is going to go off. They're going to hear that sound. They're going to hear that shout. They're going to hear that trumpet. And they're going to come up out of that grave. That's when I believe that they will be able to say what Paul talked about there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I'll be honest with you right now. I cannot personally say that. When I go down the road here to the cemetery and pull up and walk out there, the majority of the time there's tears that come down my eyes because I've got a wife that loved me and stood behind me even with my mistakes, even with my failures. She loved me. And I've got a baby boy that I still haven't figured out why God took him after performing a miracle in his life. See, Michael, and many of you do not know, have never met Michael, but Michael was the baby. Michael began to have epileptic seizures when he was about 11 or 12 years old. Now, John did at the same age. We put John, John got on medication. John quit having seizures. He doesn't take any medication right now and hadn't had an epileptic seizure in 25 years. Right, John? Or better. But Michael, even though they tried every, anti-convulsant medicine that was on the market and when something new came out, they tried that, none of them worked. None of them controlled his seizures. In fact, his seizures got more often. Where he started out, he would have a seizure every month or so and then it was every other week and then every other week and then two or three times a week and then it got to where it was every night. And then eventually, it got to the place where he was having multiple seizures every night. But all of that medication and all of those uh, seizures and everything had so affected the the network in his brain that his behavior was out of control. We carried him to Memphis one day to see the doctor. And the doctor said, we've got a new medication and it's going to control all of his behavior problems. And I thought, hey, man. We won't have to fight him anymore. See, he would be so wild that it took me, Barbara, John, and Rebecca, all four to hold him down. John probably ran over 100 miles chasing Michael. feared that Michael would attack somebody and do some some harm. But we came back from Memphis. They had given him a shot of Paxil. And Paxil's great for some people, but it wasn't for Michael. Soon as we pulled up, he jumped out of the car and he took off running and John right after him. And they ran all over Plaza Apartments And I don't know where else they went to. When he finally came in, he went into the kitchen, pulled out the kitchen drawer, pulled out a butcher knife, and said, I'm going to kill myself. He was so loud that the neighbors in the apartment next to us heard him and called the police department. Dwayne Redmond and two two units of EMTs came out there And when Michael saw them come in the door, he took our table, which is six foot long, solid oak, stood at one end and picked it up about that floor off of the floor and threw it at them. I gained so much respect that day for Dwayne Redmond. Because he calmly talked to Michael and got him calmed down so that he was manageable. But one other occasion after we had moved and was living where we live now, he had an episode and his behavior was so bad that we were fighting him. We called for help. We made arrangements for him to be carried to Memphis. But we were wrestling him in the floor. And Shannon Puckett came in. He was one of the first ones to respond. When he opened the door and came in, he saw all four of us trying to hold Michael down on the floor. He had bitten Barbara twice. I had blood running down both arms and down both cheeks where he had scratched me. But listen, I tell that story just so I can tell this. When, when he was in Louisville in April of 1997, Barbara couldn't go up and see him because she had just had surgery for colon cancer. I was working the chicken plant. I was pastoring South First Street. And every other week, Rebecca and I would go to Louisville so we could see Michael. And we went on one, one Saturday and we went in Michael didn't even recognize who I was. I tried to talk to him. He didn't respond. I asked him, I said, is he still having seizures? And they said, yes. Multiple seizures every night. And I said, what about his behavior? And they said, we have to keep him like this. That's the only way we can handle him. I cried nearly the whole way from Louisville to Mayfield. But a little over a week later, I got a call from them. And they'd said, Mr. Key, you can come and get Michael. I said, "Uh, wait just a minute. What do you mean I can come and get Michael? And they said, Well, you can come get him. He's ready to go home. I said, now, wait just a minute. I said, I was up there a little over a week ago, and he didn't even know who I was. And you said you were having to medicate him. That's the only way you could handle him. And he was having multiple seizures. I said, that's the reason why he's with you instead of with me. And they said, yeah, but he's all right now. Come on and get him. Well, that's what they say. Rebecca and I loaded up, we went to Louisville, we walked in the room, Michael jumped up the moment we walked in the room, he ran over there, he grabbed me and hugged me, and then he hugged Rebecca. And I'll be honest with you, Rebecca could tell you, they didn't normally hug each other. (laughs) There was a a friction between the oldest and the youngest. And I said, Michael, are you all right? He said, yeah, I'm ready to go home. I said, what about your behavior? He said, I'm all right. It's done. I said, what about your seizures? He said, I ain't having no more. And I said, well, what happened? Did they change your medicine? He said, no. He said, I finally decided I was tired of having seizures, and I told Jesus to take them away, and I ain't had no more. (laughs) Shh. If I was 30 years younger, I'd have a spell right now. And up until the day that Michael died, Michael could tell you how many years, how many months, how many days since he'd had his last seizure. He knew God had healed him. But then four years later, of being blessed, like I never thought possible with all that we had been through with Michael. He died of pneumonia. 20 years of age. I didn't understand that. To be honest with you, I still don't understand that. I thought God would just leave him around so he could just keep on praising him for healing him. If I'd been God, that's what I'd have done. But God knows what he's doing, and I just learned to trust him and to leave on him. Listen. You and I have trouble. There's still that sting of death. There's still that dread of the grave. But our loved ones, they don't, they say just what Paul said. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And then verse 17 tells us there's going to be a reunion. Amen. Boy, I'm excited about that. There's going to be a reunion. Y'all remember that old saying, there ain't no grave going to hold this body down? Listen, that's what they'll be singing. They'll come up out of those graves. And then verse 17 says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's going to be a reunion. It says together. I'm looking forward to that. January the 2nd, actually January the 4th, the day we buried my mom, I stood at the casket and I looked down in her face and I said, Mama, I'll see you again. When my oldest brother passed away, 48 years of age, I walked to the casket, and I looked, and I said, Lloyd, I'll see you again. In 2001, when Michael passed away, I stood there and looked at his face, and I said, Michael, Daddy's going to see you again. And eight years ago, I stood at the casket right here and looked into the face of the best thing that ever happened to this old boy other than coming to know Jesus. Jesus. But I looked at her and I said, Barbara, I'm going to see you again. And listen, folks. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to see him again. And we'll be with the Lord forevermore. Amen. Amen. Listen. That's the reason why you and I sorrow not as others which have no hope because we've got a hope, blessed be God, that we're going to see that loved one one more time and we'll spend eternity with them. Amen? Amen. We've got a hope. But then we also got to help. And I've got to hurry. Verse 18. He says, wherefore? comfort one another with these words what's our comfort he said these words i don't believe he's just talking about what he said here in 1st Thessalonians 4:13 through 17 i believe he is talking about all of the word Listen, this is where our help is. This is where our healing is. And if we are to survive in our grief, it's going to be through the Word of God, and that's what Grief Share does for us. We have a workbook that we work through five lessons every week from one class to the other. And every one of those lessons has a scripture in it or sometimes more. And we read that that, and we answer some questions about it, just studying that out and we allow God to speak to us. Listen, verses that I've known all of my life, God's taken them and spoken them to my heart and encouraged me and given me hope and helped me to heal. The Word of God. But then notice also, He says, comfort one another. Someone asked me how we made it when Michael passed away. How I made it. I said, well, first of all, I had a wife that had a strong faith, even though she was hurting and probably hurting more than I was because she'd given him birth. See, when you lose a child, it's going to affect the mother more than it is the dad. Both are going to be affected, but the mama more so than what the dad is in the majority of the cases. But I said one of the main reasons is because we had a church family that loved us. See, we had left May the 12th, driven to Nashville because they transported Michael down to Nashville. When we got there, we had to wait over an hour, I think. And then they said, come out there and said, Mr. and Mrs. Ski, come with us. We walked down the longest hall that's ever been put in any building anywhere in the world. I didn't count my steps, but I know it had to be ten miles long. Now, really, it probably wasn't, but it seemed like it was. But they carried us into a room and they talked to us and they shared with us that Michael didn't make it. That was Mother's Day, May the 13th. Barbara did not have any time for Mother's Day from then on. I had always gotten Barbara a corsage with a carnation for each one of the children. After that, she said, I don't want another one. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, you you need one for John, you need one for Michael, and then in memory of Michael. I mean, John for Rebecca and for John, and then one in memory of Michael. She said, I don't want one at all. She didn't even want to go out and eat on Mother's Day. Because as a mother, she felt incomplete. But listen, our church family, South 1st Street, put their arms around us and there was many of you did too that loved us and bolstered us up and when Barbara passed away this church right here was beside me and John and Rebecca every step of the way. But listen, when I started Grief Share, when I got into Grief Share, I got help that I didn't even realize I needed. And I took, I, I, the Lord helped me to deal with that. And when I went into Grief Share, I expected that. And God blessed me. And I dealt with that. But that very first session, and I shared it with with those that was in that first session, and some of you were in that class, that one week I was sitting at home and I was doing my my exercises for that day, and there was something that hit me. There was a grief that I had not dealt with. And I had to go back 59 years to deal with the loss of my baby sister. I was only five years old. I never saw my little sister. My mom and dad never saw my little sister. The doctors told my dad before the baby was born that she'd never make it. She lived just a little over an hour. I had never thought much about that. But I was carrying baggage for nearly sixty years because I'd not grieved properly over the passing of my sister. Listen, grief share is just what the name of it says. We share. You say, oh, Brother David, well, I'm a private person and I don't want to talk very much and I'm shy and I don't feel comfortable. That's all right, you don't have to. You listen to others share and when you hear others share, you're strengthened. Listen, when I hear Cindy share about Chris passing, and what God's done for her, and how He has brought healing into her life—that helps me. When I hear Bobby share about what he went through and how he felt, and listen, you can ask him tonight if you don't believe me. Bobby will tell you he doesn't know what he would have done if it hadn't been for Grace Share, and so many others. There's healing that comes as we share one with another. You say, Brother David, if I come in now, I'll just start crying. Well, join the club. Our last session of Greek share, we had a, nearly had a box of tissue for everybody in our session. Tissues are there. If you start crying, you didn't, somebody else is going to cry with you. We share in our tears as well as our story. And God brings healing to us. See, in our grief, we hurt. We don't know how we're going to make it. Sometimes we even think we can't make it. But there's hope for you and I. And thank God there's help. There's help. I've talked to several different pastors that are familiar with grief share. And they all say it's one of the greatest things that there is. Now listen, I didn't preach this message just so I could promote grief share. Because some of you will probably never, never come to Greek Share even though every one of us in here has lost someone near and dear to us. I don't care who you are. You may still have all your children. You may still have your wife or your husband. You may still have your parents, but you've lost someone. And there's a place for you in Greek Share. We're going to be starting our next session two weeks from tonight in the tea room. Let me encourage you to come. I guarantee you, you'll be blessed. And if you're not, I'll give you the $15 you pay for the book. Brother Ronnie, come on. Say a word of prayer. Brother Mike, come to me. Lord God, we give you.